welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this week Formula One goes from nighttime racing to the land of the weirdest hats known to man. I was going to go with incredibly passionate fan. I was following David Cothard's example and trying to avoid calling them nutters. Okay. (laughs) Can I just tell you that, you know, in watching qualifying, watching the hats, the devised hats that they have come up with, the front wings of the Ferraris, the kids in the ball caps with whole cardboard configured Formula One cars on their heads. Well, you know, what what we haven't seen this year, we've seen it in previous years, which is why I'm kind of surprised, but there were folks who had the ta- a, a reproduction of the tail wing on their hat with working DRS. Yes. We have not seen that I've yet. I've not this seen year. that. It's been mostly front wings that I've seen this year. And then there was my favorite set of ball caps mm-hmm. because we had talked recently about how much it takes to kit out a Formula 1 fan. Mm-hmm. So wh- what's your guess as to what a Ferrari ball cap would, would run? We're talking 30, 35 US dollars? Oh, it's a Ferrari. It's got to be 60. Okay. So <laughs> Two fans in the crowd took Ferrari ball caps, cut holes in them, and put bull horns, like devil's horns, on them Mm -hmm. uh, coming through the holes. My best guess is that they're Vettel fans. Red Bull Ferrari is my best guess. Well, keeping, well, no, that's Lamborghini is the bull, not uh, No, because Ferrari is the prancing horse. So that was my best guess is that they were following Vettel, but why the devil's horns on the Ferrari hats, unless they're really not Ferrari fans, but then why would you buy a $60 hat? I don't know. The headgear is phenomenal. Ignore the race. Watch the headgear. Well, what about the Ferrari Samurais? Oh, my word. What was that? They, we've seen them before. Yeah. I've seen them in previous years, but yeah, with all the sponsorship logos and everything, but samurai suits yes that's been a good one what we have not seen yet this year is the bernie puppets no no bernie puppets this year that makes me sad but and we also saw david cothard the man of the tight pants standing with a geisha well that was on his twitter feed yes so uh as he put it it was a local f1 fan and he didn't know what was in the basket she was holding I'm sure he knows now. But one of the things that he commented on is that the fans, when they engage with the drivers in Suzuka, you know, normally it's just autograph, picture, selfie, whatever, move on. These fans tend to bring gifts. Oh. Okay. What do they do with said gifts? They give them to the drivers? No. What do the drivers <laughs> do with said gifts? It probably depends on what the gift is. That's some he said were kind of nice. Some he he mentioned he wasn't completely sure what they were. Mm. But, yeah. Kind of an interesting concept. Now, you are right. Japan is the home of some serious fandom. Mm-hmm. What I find fascinating and I, I love is the fact that the home of serious fandom is not in Europe. Yeah. I mean, you would think that... Um, Silverstone, um, Monza, those would get you those hardcore, I've been doing this for generations, fans. And what you wind up with are these 
incredible fans. I mean, they're bringing little kids out there to go watch yeah. the Formula One races without ear protection. And that bothers me as a mother. That bothers me. I just want to scream, put some headphones on those children. Well, one thing you have to remember is that the engines are significantly quieter now than they have been in the past. And that's something we've talked about quite a bit. And a lot of folks have mentioned it. It's now not nearly as loud, and the need you can have a conversation while a race is going on, which is something you never could do before. I understand that, but children's ears are precious. Okay. If you're a grown adult that has the ability to make a choice for yourself, you can ride a motorcycle without a helmet. You don't have to wear hair protection at a Formula One race. If you are under 18, you don't get that choice. Your mama should be putting ear protection on you. That's just my opinion. I have spoken. All righty. Now, but we can't talk about Japan yet. We have to talk about the aftermath of Singapore. Well, we have a couple of things to even talk about before we even get to Singapore. You know, the tire contract is supposed to be coming up in 2017. Mm -hmm. Well, for, it's supposed to end in 2016 for new tender in 2017. Michelin wants to get in on it. Mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of politicking going on, even though we know that uh, Mr. Bernie does not necessarily like Michelin. Right. Um, they came out and, and uh, mentioned to the press, Michelin came out and mentioned to the press that um, if they get to supply tires, they promise that their tires will make drivers happy. All righty. Well, what they claim is that um, – the tires that they would provide would allow drivers to drive flat out at all times. Because right now, drivers can't do that. No, because they have to manage their tires. But if they provide tires that allow you to drive flat out at all times, that means they're not high degradation tires, which means we will not have pit stops. And see, there's part of the problem is because... This construct of tires, these high-deg tires, was something that Bernie Eccleston had mandated when Pirelli came in. He wants the pit stops. He believes the pit stops make more of a show. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how they're going to manage this. What Michelin says is that the tires will have a high, stable performance for a given lifespan, which kind of makes it like they're trying to say that okay, the tire will last for X number of laps that you can push super hard on it, and then they're just going to fall off. And then one, once that performance falls off that cliff, you have to pit. That's the only thing I could think of. Well, okay, while I'm going to assume that sex technology would not be a problem, um, what would prevent a team, mm -hmm. other than if they made it into the rules, that you couldn't drive over a certain number of laps on a particular set of tires? What would prevent a team to say, hey, if flat out these tires last 20 laps, mm -hmm. then not flat out, they probably last 30 laps. Let's just pretend my numbers are somewhat close to right. Mm -hmm. We can eliminate a whole pit stop by not quite, by managing our tires a little bit better and not driving flat out. We say we already win 20 seconds, 20 to 20 seconds. 20 to 25 seconds back well, you, you, you've is got flat to, out to manage that much of a difference. You've got to assume that if the rules stayed unchanged, at a minimum, there would still be a requirement for a pit stop. 
Right, because they'd have to change from the options so to the primes. E- even it, you know, based on that, even if every race became a one stopper, based on performance, and drivers could still push flat out, that wouldn't change anything. Well, no, they'd still have one pit stop. Mm-hmm. But what about those races that we have two or th- possibly three pit stops? Because of the length of the race, the you know we obviously have it because of the wear on the tire, and that's even with them managing their tires. Now, if they're supposed to be a lifespan with a cliff, possibly, do you wind up saying, okay, this should be a three pit stop race based on the number of laps they're telling us per tire? We're going to make it a two pit stop race by managing our tires, and then we've undermined the whole point. It depends on the tires that are provided. Mm-hmm. Because keep in mind. All of these races that are, that are sometimes three pit stops and more, a lot of that is down to the tire that was provided, and that the tire that was provided was a softer tire, and as a result, it didn't last as well. And if they had gone with a harder tire, like we saw last year in Russia, yeah, where we could they could have run the entire race on those tires. Right. So you know, it depends on what the wear of the tires are and and what the new tire manufacturer is told to to provide. We do know that the philosophy of the high-deg tires is being called into question by the team owners. Mm -hmm. We know the drivers don't like it. And I think that there's the potential, and I think I've heard the drivers talking about it, I think it's a safety issue. Yeah, it it definitely could be. Beyond the show issue, Mm -hmm. because on one side we have the, there's a show issue of, the drivers aren't driving flat out, they're managing their tires, then you have that the corollary to that of every so often we have a tire just explode. Um, and, ooh, that's kind of fun for a second. Well, that's, that's the show there. That's the show. But then you have every so often a tire explodes and you have a safety issue. And drivers losing their minds. And then you have drivers that have diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> So anyway, the problem is, and the reality is very simple. Bernie likes Pirelli. Bernie doesn't like Michelin. What do you think we're going to have in 2017? Oh, I think pretty much that they're going to stay with that, with uh, Pirelli's. The question is, how much will the tires even change? Right. And, you know, we've got to be getting close to a decision on these rules at this point. Truly, because they got to start figuring out how to make the tires. Because remember, F1 tires are handmade. Yes. Well, it's not just that. It's also that if, the, the based on the rules that they're talking about, it's still going to require a change in the tires. Right. They're going to be wider tires no matter what. Mm-hmm. There's talk, and if Michelin gets their way, the wheels are going to be bigger too. Right, because he doesn't want the 13 inches. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Red Bull. Red Bull. You know, last week in Singapore, truly Red Bull came out with a result that I don't think anybody would have expected. Granted, nobody would have expected Mercedes' result either, but the thought that Red Bull would have ended up second, Mm -hmm. especially with all the talk that Red Bull has had over this engine is lousy, it's terrible, you you know, all that back and forth that, that... that slap fight that's been going on to see a Red Bull on the podium with the second one not that far behind. Kind of stunning. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, they did. A, they drove phenomenally well in Singapore. Now, granted, they knew this was a track that they were going to be strong at. They they knew that because it wasn't a power track, the other aspects of the car could actually come into play and help them out. Well, and that's the thing. What we have proven very, very decisively is that Singapore is a track that aerodynamics over power will win. And I heard a lot of talk from the commentators that what propelled Red Bull up that far was the superior aerodynamics of that car over the raw power. I could see that. So, you know, as, as we move on, last weekend, Engine Silly Season picked up some yet more volume. Oh, yeah. Um, and we got some, some comments, some very frank comments from Christian Horner. He was very open on the BBC and some of their coverage, um, but he sat down pre-race with the folks over at Sky Sports and uh, really came out with where things stand and what they're looking for. So let's play that real quick. What about new engines? You've had a divorce from Renault, that's official. Is what it, are you gonna, is it official? Well, is it official? Well, it's not quite official yet. We're sort of in that counseling stage before hopefully coming up with an amicable divorce fairly shortly, but nothing is confirmed as we sit here now. So you may still use Renaults next year? Unlikely. So what will you use? Uh, probably either a Ferrari or nothing. I mean, it really is as simple as that. It's, it's a Ferrari engine or, or, you know, at the moment Mercedes won't supply and there's no other option. So it really is Ferrari or nothing. Can you revisit this with uh, Mercedes-Benz or is it absolutely over? They won't give you engines. They've made it abundantly clear their position and, you know, we officially requested uh, for engines back at the British Grand Prix um, and uh, they've made it quite clear that they will not supply uh, Red Bull which is a, which is a shame um, it was our first um, you know first option but that's it was always going to be a bit of a long shot uh, Ferrari have got a great history of supplying um, you know strong customer engines and um, their engine certainly looks pretty strong at the moment so subject to concluding an agreement with Renault then um, that would be our priority this is mid-September. Do Ferrari have the infrastructure and the manpower, and can you get the engine in the car in time for them to give you, uh, sell you the 2016 power pack? Well, of course, it's all getting pretty late now, but you know the first race is uh, a little bit later uh, next year. As far as our side, yes, it's getting very, very tight on time, but um, you know there's still time to do that. You know we are in sort of the second part of September now, but by the end of the month, it needs to be a conclusion. And can they make them? Can they suddenly supply two more teams? Well, that's really a question, you know, for Ferrari. If, uh, you, know, if, you know, if we go down that direction, they confirm that they can supply. And what if they can't? What are you going to do then? Well, then we have a major, major problem because uh, we're effectively a team without an engine. Um, and, you know, the onus is really on, uh, you know, the powers that be to come up with a solution all risk you know just red bull but also toro rosso as well there is a chance you know how big that chance is unfortunately doesn't really depend on us it depends on you know on others hopefully ferrari can supply and there won't be an issue but if they can't then we have a major issue but don't you think your ex-hero seb vettel is talking to the ferrari boss is saying i don't want them to have the same engine as me i know how good they are i know how good their chassis are 
quite probably because he left because of the engine. So, <laughs> so, so um, I, I don't know. I mean, Sebastian embraces competition, so I can't imagine he'd be um, saying anything as, as devious as that. Yeah, there was just a lot there. Yes. Now, what has further come out later in the week is that basically this is Christian Horner's problem to resolve. Oh. Yeah, what he has come out and he said to Autosport and, and several of the world press in Suzuka um, when asked about what the future of the team looks like. You know, there is a big risk, and, and Dietrich Manischitz, who owns the team, has come out and said that they could walk away from Formula One, and if they don't have an engine, they will walk away from Formula One. Well, it would be really hard for them to stay in Formula One without an engine. But keep in mind, though, we're not just talking about one team and two cars that would walk away from no, Formula No, it's two one. teams, four cars. Two teams and four cars would absolutely walk away from Formula One. So what um, Christian had to say further was that Dietrich does not speak very often, and when he does, you have to sit up and take notice. He's somewhat disillusioned with F1 at the moment. He's been very consistent in that statement. It's my job to try and find a solution. We have a commitment to F1, to our workforce, a talented team, and I'm doing my best to make sure we find a competitive engine to power the team next year. If that is not the case, there is a risk of Red Bull quitting. Red Bull's position is different to Ferrari's, McLaren's, Williams. Formula One has to provide a marketing return globally. In order to do that, you have to be able to not be restricted in terms of the tools at your disposal. Hmm. So this is, at this point, all on Christian Horner. Now, to further muddy the waters, you know, last week we talked that Eddie Jordan was saying that uh, Volkswagen was about to do a deal to buy the team for 2018 with Red Bull becoming a sponsor. However, if you have not been following the news, right about the same time that this happened, the major scandal broke with Volkswagen, which so far has resulted in the resignation of current CEO Martin Winterkorn, who, by the way, was the guy who was spearheading the, or was rumored to be spearheading the effort to bring Volkswagen to Formula One. Hmm. Now, the replacement is currently the head of Porsche. Whether or not he sees the same view, I don't know. But you got to think that given the estimated cost there, that even that if that deal is real, it's in jeopardy. Well, it's in je- it's possibly in jeopardy, if not at the very least delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and there's a stop order on selling all diesel cars right now, in, at least in the U.S. In, in the U.S., there's a stop order on selling diesel cars with VW telling dealers that they will be covering some level of dealer costs regarding those cars they have set aside something in the area of 7.8 billion dollars in a war chest to deal with the fallout of this and there has been talk that fines from the u.s government alone and this is global but fines from the u.s government alone could top 11 billion dollars this could do some serious damage to the company seriously it could so what's next well while we're still on the topic of these ferrari engines and the possibility of them going to red bull bernie has reached out to the press no 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 no. tell me that bernie kept his trap shut 
Well, he is confirmed initially brokering an agreement between Ferrari and Red Bull, although he says that uh, the Fiat Chrysler CEO and owner of or team principal, whatever Sergio Marchionne's new title is with F1, he says that Sergio Marchionne has expressed concerns about doing so, um, as has his uh, counterpart at, at Daimler for Mercedes, Dieter Zicci. Um, for Formula One, Marchionne would love to do it to get Red Bull competitive with an engine, but he doesn't want to damage the team he runs. And this is what Bernie told Autosport. If Red Bull get a better engine, then they are obviously going to be competitive. It's an obvious concern, and he's frightened he's going to upset his team. It's now down to Sergio to make up his mind, and I'm sure it will be sorted out shortly one way or the other. So he's saying that Sergio Marchionne may be afraid to give Red Bull engines. My question is, why? If you, A, supposedly negotiated the preliminary deal to get these two together, and you know that if this deal falls apart, you lose not one, but two teams. You lose not two, but four cars from the grid. And the teams that you're losing are big money, big name teams to the sport. Why would you open your mouth to the press to say something that, sh that would even remotely indicate that this deal might be in jeopardy? Simple. I'm surprised you're asking that question. Okay. That is a highly political maneuver to force anybody that might have qualms or questions about it to accepting the deal. I don't think it would do that, though. I think it's a matter of forcing their hands and backing them into a corner. That's what I think that that little maneuver is about. Because Bernie has just laid down the gauntlet that said, I brokered this deal. And this guy over here has got questions about it now that's going to send all the press scurrying over to Sergio to go, why do you have issues with this? What is your problem? You know, then the press gets a hold of it and, you know, chews at Sergio for a while till he throws his hands up and says, fine, I get it. We'll do this. That's what that's about. But I don't think the, – the, the problem I have with that theory is that's not what happened to Mercedes when Mercedes, when word came out. And Mercedes formally said, we're not giving them engines. But there was still a plan B. Yeah, I don't know. There's not a plan B right now. It's not like Honda's going to come up with an engine that, hey, Red Bull, we'll give you a Honda engine. I am quite sure they could get Honda engines at, like, oh, pennies on the dollar. Well, yeah, and if Honda came to them, Red Bull would probably say, uh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Right. But it's not, there, there was a plan B when Mercedes came out and said, no thanks, we're not going to do that. I don't know. So what did you key off of on this, since it sounded like you had your own thing? I Apparently forgot. the same thing I did. No, <laughs> no, I just think Bernie needs to shut his trap, but yeah, that's just me. I, yeah, I, I think this was a bad move. I think all this, this does is run the risk of further poisoning that well. And you well, can't. he can't afford to do that, because if he loses two teams, and he loses two teams over this— and big-name teams at that, this is going to seriously 
harm the sport. Well, it's going to seriously harm the sport, but I'm sorry. I have never taken Bernie to somebody that wants to piss Red Bull off. I mean, seriously, he and Christian Horner have been strange bedfellows for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that, it's always that question to me as what is Bernie's, what is Bernie trying to do to give Red Bull an advantage? Because he's worked very hard to make sure that they have an advantage. Yes, but he also loves Ferrari. Well, he does love Ferrari. And would that not be a marriage made in heaven? Two teams that he loves, married, walking down the aisle together? It would to a point. Because, again, I mean, look at what has happened over the last two years with the Renault-Red Bull relationship. Mm -hmm. And the words that have been exchanged from mainly Red Bull towards Renault. Mm Mm-hmm. And you look at the culture of Ferrari. The team comes first. You never speak bad about Ferrari. And you're going to go and take in Red Bull, who, if you don't perform to their standards, will slag you in the press. It's a risk. Yeah. It's a risk. So one of the big incidents from... uh, Singapore Grand Prix was in a crash between Nico Hulkenberg and uh, Felipe Massa as Massa was coming out of the pits. Yes. Now, initially, well, not initially, the marshals reviewed it. They came out and ruled that Hulkenberg was at fault and gave him a, th- a three-place grade penalty for Japan. Correct. Hulkenberg's reaction was absolutely not, this is wrong, I don't understand this, this I shouldn't be the one. I wasn't at fault. I was the one who was on a track. And a lot of folks kind of thought that way. Mm-hmm. You know, Hulkenberg was the one who was on a track. It was Massa who was in the merge area. Massa should have given. Given should, away. Should have, should have given way. However, Hulkenberg has since come out and said that, you know, after I reviewed the footage, um, I kind of thought that I had given him more room than I actually did. And. He has apologized to Felipe Massa for the incident. Apparently he called him. Yes. On the actual telephone. <laughs> and they spoke. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, there are days that every time I get a good story about Nico Hulkenberg, I just love that man just a little bit more. <laughs> you know, he's, he's one of those, he's a hero of F1 that's sort of unsung in so very many ways. I mean, Every junior series that he's been a part of, he has won. Yeah. He has, he won the 24-hour for Le Mans. We only heard that for about three or four races. Um, He's a phenomenal driver. He is six feet tall. And because of that, he weighs a bit more than the other drivers. And that affects where he can get a premium seat in the grid. I mean, it really Mm -hmm. does. And I think that that's sad because he's such a good driver. But he's also a really good stand-up guy. Oh, he is. And I'm really impressed by the fact that he did take the time. I mean, you know that Pastor Maldonado would not be reviewing the film and going, <laughs> "It was I, I didn't give enough room, and I'm sorry. I mean, yeah. that's not going to ever happen with Maldonado. But Hulkenberg took the time out of his, his thing to learn to improve his driving skills, and to give Massa his due and say, I accept my three grid, and I'm going to call you and 
tell you I'm sorry. So you got my respect. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. So that brought out the first safety car. Yes. Then there was the incident that brought out the second safety car. Yes. And what we didn't realize from the video that we saw was not only was it, it well, it was an incident where a gentleman somehow got onto the track. <laughs> he didn't just get onto the track, though. He ran across the track. Oh, did he? The video we saw was of him nonchalantly walking along the barrier there, kind of like he was at a stroll and was looking for the bus stop or wherever the local the, the nearest metro stop was. But apparently, he had gotten onto the track from a different area and actually run across the track. Word. Before the cameras got, or, or before the, the footage we saw of it. Now, this is where you're going to be very happy that I have the article and not you. Okay, because there's names in it? Yeah. Excellent. So the gentleman is a British national, um, and he has been charged with committing a, quote, rash act. That is a charge? That is apparently a charge in Singapore. Really? Yes. Can we have one? Can, can we get a law against rash acts? I have a few people to, to nominate. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, so here, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher his name, but you know what? After what he did, tough. Yagvitam Pravin Dokia, 27. That's, well, he's, he's 27 years old. He's not number 27. Um, he was seen walking alongside of the Marina Bay Circuit, and this also we didn't see, taking photographs while the race was underway. Oh, my word. Yeah. Um, Mr. Yagvitam was offered bail of... 15,000 Singaporean dollars, which comes out to 10,600 U.S. dollars, uh, but said he could not pay as he was not working and had spent all his money traveling to the Grand Prix. He will appear in court again on October 6th, and the British High Commission in Singapore confirmed the arrest of a British national and said it was ready to, quote, provide consular assistance. Oh, my. So what do you think that they do to somebody who is convicted of a rash act? My guess would be lock him up for a month or two, maybe a fine, and then kick him out of the country. Well, you know, if they give him a fine, he can't pay it. He's unemployed. Yeah, I don't know how that I, – I have no idea how that works. So in going along with our theme of bizarre things that happened at the Singapore Grand Prix – Okay. Obviously, this is now the Bizarro Show. We, we are now at lap 60 of 61. Yes! Yes! And out of nowhere, we hear this radio call. Okay, we need to swap positions. No! Max, just do it. <laughs> that was uh, Toro Rosso, well, that was Max Verstappen's race engineer telling him that he needed to swap positions with... Um, Felipe Naz, not Felipe, Carlos Sainz, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. with Carlos Sainz, who was just behind him, because um, Max had been trying for several laps to get past Sergio Perez and it failed. Nazar was on newer tires. But again, we were at lap 60 of 61. <laughs> so we think that he had plenty of time to get ahead of, yeah. of Nazar? To, to further fill out this story 
it has come out that, or, or Max has come out and he has said that um, he and his dad spoke about these kind of situations in the past. And his dad's advice to him was to, if he was told to give way to his teammate, he should not do it. Because otherwise, well, doing so would, would cause him to lose respect within the team and with the other drivers. Um, Carlos has said that he's been told three times to, to give way for Max, and he's done it every time. Max has been told three times, and Max has never done it. Max has also turned around and said that um, in, in some of the post-race interviews that uh, if he had given way to and, and followed the team orders and given way as ordered, his father would have, quote, kicked him in the balls. <laughs> Josh's uh, parenting style aside, I understand the point. However, which team is it that they asked him to give way and then they gave the, the position back? Well, that was the example. It was Red Bull and it was to Ricardo and Kvyat. Okay. Now, on lap 60 of 61, not – yeah, let's – Max was right. He was 17 years old, but he's still right. Um, and I get it. Just as much as I totally understood Lewis not giving way to Nico last year, well, when Nico was wasn't even in a, really yeah. a position to take the place, uh, Lewis was on a Lewis was was not increasing pace to get away from Nico. Yeah. he was on a pace that Nico. If Nico's gonna, I think he even said if Nico's gonna pass, he needs to get up here. Yeah. Um. But I think there's also a dynamic that you have to understand, and even Daddy Verstappen needs to give, is that if you trust your team, that if they think that they can do something differently by swapping places like that, you have to trust that if it fails, they'll swap you back. And that's what Ricardo and Kvyat have. And I wouldn't be surprised if they allow to swap places along the way because they trust their team that they get the place back but if also they don't that perform those orders were given earlier in the race oh. the truth of the matter was if they had swapped positions with two laps left there's no way that they would have been able to swap back and give max that position back and remember wh where max came from Max, his car stalled on at the start of that race, he came and, the back. and he started that race a lap down to right. end up up there. So he fought hard to get up there. Now the team has come out, in, in, including Franz Tost, who who runs the team, has said that the team orders when when they looked at it, a they were unnecessary. There was no reason for it. The odds are, from what they were watching, he couldn't have caught up to him. It, it, science wouldn't have been able to make the pass anyway. Along the same lines, they didn't exactly communicate to Max just what the heck was going on either. All it was was give him the position. And, yeah, based on that reaction also, it wasn't the give him a position and, and, and let Carlos have a go. It wasn't you clipped a corner. and, and you, No, it was just give up a position. So, and e even Franz Toss says – they failed in their communications to him. Right. So. Well, I mean, I'm glad the team is standing behind them. But I go back to, we hear so much about team orders and back and forth and back mm -hmm. and forth. And there's the good and the bad and the ugly about it. And we all react to that feeling of the Ferrari standard of 
there's a number one and there's a number two and number two will always give way to number one no matter what the situation is and then you see when team orders actually work to the benefit of the drivers and make it even and fair as happened with Ricardo and um Kvyat and then you turn around and you listen to you know then you have to look at whether or not Max should have done it, but given that it was only two laps left in the race, you're right. There's nothing that could have been done. Now, had there been 20 laps left in the race and he not given way... Even 10 laps. I I, I think that then you would say, well, he's not being a team player. Yeah. Now, uh, granted, Sands has a, a valid thing. I've given way to you, and you've not given way to me. Yeah. And that's not fair either. And I think I think there is something to be said that Daddy Verstappen needs to think about being a team player too, because it's not an individual sport; it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. And it's the team that put that pays the bills, and it's the team that gives them the seat and all the other stuff. So. Right. So I think that they need to work on that little piece. But yeah, I did laugh out loud when Max is like, "Yeah, no." So the last bit of weirdness, and we didn't, unfortunately, we didn't see the podium, the podium ceremony and some of the other things. Um, Ferrari got themselves in a bit of trouble. Okay. Initially, what people thought Ferrari had gotten themselves in trouble to, and again, we didn't see, because we didn't see the podium ceremony, we missed this. But when Sebastian Vettel went out onto the podium, he brought with him a Ferrari flag. That is expressly prohibited by FIA rules. You're not allowed to bring any kind of flags or other signs of political protest or anything. Now, even though this was a team flag, it is still a flag and thereby prohibited under the rules. That's what folks thought Ferrari was going to get in trouble for. What Ferrari actually got in trouble for was post-race, the car is going to Parc Ferme. The only people that are supposed to be in Parc Ferme, this is a secure location, so that the officials can touch and inspect the cars. Nobody else gets in there without permission from the FIA stewards. However, the Ferrari engineers and all their celebrating and partying and whatever stormed Park Ferme and brought their celebration in there with reports being that the photographers and other folks who were authorized to be within the Park Ferme spaces got pushed down and pushed out of the way by the celebrating Ferrari engineers. Ouch. Yeah. Now— the thing is, and, and this is what has a lot of the press annoyed, is that the Park Ferme area, those rules are so stringent that most people, if they violate those rules and they violate those barriers, their credentials are immediately yanked and they are removed from the facility. Period. The end. No appeals. Wow. That was not done. Ferrari instead got a letter saying you're called before the stewards to answer for the conduct. And the penalty was that the team has to apologize to the Singapore stewards and organizers for their behavior. That's it. Why do they have special rules again? Because they are the Ferrari. Okay, your Italian accent sounds Sucks. an awful lot like your German accent. Oh, well. <laughs> I have no words. I can't explain it. Yeah. Um, okay, are we about to wrap up Singapore? Because I need to talk about one thing. 
Yeah, that's all I had for Singapore. That's it. Okay, so the one thing that you didn't talk about in the bizarro world of Singapore was the fact that Mercedes, okay, well, they sucked. Yeah, well, you know, we talked about it last week with the qualifying, and it didn't get any better. So, so as you can imagine, we've talked a lot this year about how mature Lewis Hamilton has become. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not let one race really destroy crush him. him and yeah. crush him. So um, imagine my shock when I read this little article about Lewis's reactions going into Japan based on the Singapore Grand Prix. Okay. Um, about the 22nd of September is when this was written. So I know we have had a little bit more information since then, but mm-hmm. according to Lewis at that point, he had not been told what the problem was with Mercedes. Which problem? Why they were underpowered and underperforming. Okay, so not why he, he had to retire the car. Not Because we did get word on as to that. Um, he, at that point, he said that he didn't, he was saying that he had not been talked to by the team as to what happened, period, mm-hmm. in the whole group. Um, so the the thought was that Hamilton would no doubt um, like Mercedes to start resuming their swagger about mm-hmm. how awesome they are. And he said, I don't have any confidence. I don't have any information to give me that confidence. I'm hoping it's a one-off, but it was a strange weekend to say the least. Our car has not got slower. I told my engineers I would like some information about what they think it was, and but there's not a lot of time between before the next race. So that was... Hamilton leaving Singapore headed into Japan going, I know nothing and I have no confidence. So I'm hoping that now that we're post-qualifier pre-race, that he's feeling a little bit better, um, even though he did qualify second. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. But he's got to be feeling better. He should be. Now, what knocked him out of the race was actually a small clip. Oh. That broke, and that's why the throttle was not fully engaging. Ah. That di- that clip was discovered and has since been re-engineered to be better, stronger, faster. Ooh. <laughs> I wonder if it was a $6 million clip. Potentially. Given the cost of some of these cars, it might be. Or at least it is now. Hey, did you see the, was it the Williams that have a separate screen from their steering wheel? Yes, that's how they've always been set up this year. Oh, I, I don't know why I just noticed that. Yes, they're, in, instead of having the screen on the wheel, it is mounted to their dash. It's I'm like not they, sure it's a better option or a cheaper option. However, that was in response to last year, as you recall. Williams was one of the teams. There was two or three other teams that did not have that little display on the wheel. And they were complaining that they were not getting the same level of information in the car to the drivers as these other teams. So now everyone has something like that, whether it's on the wheel or on the dash. Well, I was just wondering if maybe that made the wheel a little bit less expensive if they had to replace it for some reason. Because they would be able to do it without having to replace the screen. Yeah. But that was just my thought. So we got some driver news? Driver news? 
Do you mean that people are starting to announce? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, we got confirmation that uh, Sergio Perez will be retained by Force India for 2016, so their driver lineup is settled for the next year. That's like the earliest we've ever heard of a Force India driver. For, for, for Force India, it is. Um, the other bit of news is, and before I get to the Lotus Renault whatever happening over there, is Haas F1 will be announcing their drivers in Canapolis on Tuesday. Canapolis? Yes. Okay. Is that North Carolina or Tennessee? I'm guessing North Carolina. North Carolina. That's where they will be holding their driver announcement this Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You can watch it live. Excellent. Now, the strongest theory is that Roman Grosjean is going to Haas. It is. Um, you know, we talked last week that the rumors were that it's a three-year deal with the possibility um, of staying with Renault if they take over Lotus. It is sounding more like that is not an option. He is going to Haas. The theory behind it, because a lot of people have been talking about this, seems like an odd move for an experienced driver like Roman to move to a brand new team. The the theory is that he's doing this because of the affiliation with Ferrari. And the hope is that by going over there and getting this affiliation with Ferrari and getting in front of the Ferrari owners and, and powers that be, he can end up on the list to replace Kimi Raikkonen at the end of his contract. That's a definite possibility. I also think, I know this is going to sound crazy, possibly, but I also think that there's something about having the mature driver being able to move the new team. Um, well, they wanted that. They I mean, needed that. I know that the new team wants an experienced driver and, and needs that help and that vision of the grid and all of those things. But I think there's something about it for a driver who probably knows. I mean, Roman's, he's, he's grown as a driver, but he didn't hit the 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 grid to be a Sebastian Vettel or a Lewis Hamilton or even a Fernando. He's had to grow into his racing shoes. Yeah. And I wonder if part of that growth process isn't turning around and making his mark on developing a team. How great would it be for him to take a brand spanking new team and make them into something? Does that make sense? It it's the challenge does, of growth. It, it does, and and in some ways, you know, it, it's kind of like that that great big vision that everybody has of Schumacher going to Ferrari, mm -hmm. of or now the Vettel going to Ferrari. Uh, you know, the driver who's good and has promise, heading to the struggling team and turning them around. Right. I, I'm not quite sure that. He sees it that way. I think it may be more along the lines of stability. I think he's got some doubts and reservations, and certainly as to what's going on right now, there's a very good reason for there to be doubts and reservations. But I think he's got doubts and reservations about the future of Lotus F1 or Renault and their agreement to take over Lotus, and he thinks he'd be better off moving. Mm-hmm. 
either that or he also, assuming that he knows that deal is going through, he doesn't think that Renault's going to be able to deliver on anything decent in the next two years. And seeing that Ferrari is doing a turnaround, and it may be a better idea to get into Ferrari power right now. It, I mean, that's... that. Th- I, I think it's more that. There's lots of possibilities, but I don't think it's that weird of a move, I guess. Now, what we do know with Lotus and Renault is that they have confirmed. Now, in reality, this is only a confirmation of something that was should have happened anyway, as much as we don't like him, but they have confirmed that they are retaining Pastor Maldonado for another year. Correct. The truth is, Pastor was on a three-year contract, <laughs> and next year was the third year of the three-year contract. So short of him saying, we've had enough of you, you're gone, he was going to be back anyway. There's also been some talk, though, about the timing of the announcement and the purpose of the announcement. Because, again, he was on a three-year contract, and there's some thought that maybe by making the official announcement, they were triggering some sort of payment from PD Vesa, mm. and they need that money desperately. Yes, they do, don't they? Yeah. But it also it causes some other questions with the Lotus-Renault deal and that possibility. Now, we are hearing James Allen, who is he's considered the F1 app by some because of how much he knows and his insight. James Allen says that he's hearing from multiple sources that from a Lotus-Renault perspective and their piece of the deal, this is done. It is signed, it is completed, it is done. Where this deal is being hung up and why we haven't heard anything, he's saying, and again, he says he's getting it from multiple sources, that it is actually between Renault and Bernie and FOM. Mm. Because Renault believes, and, and we alluded to this a few times, but Renault believes that they deserve historical payments as a historical constructor and if they come back they a want those payments and they want those payments at a significant amount possibly more than um oh red bull and possibly more than williams which could be be, because it's based on championships and how renault is counting their championships and how bernie wants to count their championships and who earned those championships because remember this is a team that at one point was um i believe it was minority at one point it was benetton at one point it was renault at one point and then it was was uh lotus all of those have got some successes in there right and renault is trying to count some successes that maybe well bernie doesn't think they necessarily should be able to count so he thinks that it the deal is going to fall apart because of disagreements between Renault and Bernie over those payments. Mm-hmm. But the other complications that come into this is that Renault, as we know, and we talked about last week, has very, very close ties with French uh, petroleum firm Total. Right. Pastor Maldonado is sponsored by the Venezuelan pet, uh, petroleum company PDVSA. How do you square that circle? I don't know, because they can't exactly give up PD Vesa money. Well, maybe they can. Does Renault actually need that? Well, I, I mean, it's Renault. I don't know if they need that, but at the very least, they've had to confirm 
Pashtamadano for another year, so that means PDVSA money for another well, year. Well, Lotus had to. Right. But it's not like if Lotus and Renault have already got the deal cut and everything is hunky-dory between them that they didn't know they were going to have to take PDVSA money. I don't know. I mean, best you can come up with is that Total has got to stay on the back burner for a season. But I don't think, you know, well, I don't know what the contracts are between Renault and Total. Right. Because Total is on everything that Renault does, but I don't know if there's an option that they can back out of that or if, you know, as we've also talked about how one of the rumors is that the team will operate as Lotus for one more year, keep all those sponsorship deals in place until 2017, and then cut everything loose and become Renault. And, and that's, maybe that's and, it. I don't know. that's entirely possible. We, we know Lotus is in trouble. We yeah. know Lotus is a, a lot of trouble. They're hanging on, and Monday looks to be a very key day because that's the next convening of the the court case. But to give you an idea of how much trouble Lotus is in, their freight was late sh- to the track, mm-hmm. and the team has been locked out of the hospitality units. And it doesn't sound like they're getting access to the hospitality units. Now, Bernie, in his... In a magnanimous gesture, because Bernie is such a wonderful person, as a result of being locked out of the hospitality unit, that means that the team doesn't get fed at the track. Right. Bernie provided them food from the paddock club to make sure that the mechanics and engineers got fed while at the track. Okay. Because the team didn't do it. All right, so Bernie ordered a couple of pizzas in. Come on. No, they, they said it came from paddock club. Paddock club is not a couple of pizzas. Specifically said it was Paddock Club catering. So this was not a couple pizzas. All right, so riddle me this one. Okay. Bernie Mm -hmm. basically caters for Lotus out of the Paddock Club. Mm -hmm. Out of wherever. It doesn't really matter. But okay, he gets Paddock Club, and he's catering for Lotus. Mm -hmm. But yet... He's somehow backdoor stopping the deal with Lotus and Renault. Yeah. How do you marry all of that together? Because it sounds like, you know, keep in mind, he would have never catered Marusha out of the paddock club. He wanted Marusha gone. And when Caterham and Marusha couldn't make it to an event, did he comp the freight? Did he help them in any way, shape, he, or form? I believe he comped the freight to Australia. And I think he comped the freight for Caterham to Abu Dhabi on the crowdfunded car. I believe he com- he did comp that freight. No, I think the crowdfunding paid for the freight. Well, there's, there, there's a lot of questions about exactly where that money went. Because it was an awful lot of money that covered some things other than what folks expected it to cover. Excellent. Um, but he wanted Manor Marusha to pay him back for the freight to Australia. Well, that's because he was pissed because they didn't compete, and he doesn't think that they had any intention of it when they showed up. Right. Um, so Lotus CEO Matthew Carter has come out and said that, uh, you know, he's aware that Renault knows that, or he knows that Renault is aware of the deadline because if— 
they've been told that on Monday there will be no more further extensions in this case. There will be a ruling one way or the other. Renault has to commit to providing funding because Lotus cannot meet this tax bill. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that they're in limbo until that they know that the overall deal is concluded. As soon as they know when things, as soon as they know, then things will start falling into place. Um, Carter recognizes that Lotus cannot pay the 27,000 pounds required to unlock its hospitality unit is a sad reflection on the position the team finds itself in. Um, Explaining the situation, Carter said, we have to make certain decisions as to what we pay and what priorities we make payments in. The hospitality at the circuit wasn't one of the priorities at the moment. We are still hoping we get the keys tomorrow, which they have not, um, and we'll see where it goes. I appreciate it doesn't look good for the team at all, nor the sport, but I guess it is indicative of where we are at the moment. Asking whether a payment would be forthcoming for the hospitality, he has since replied, no, but I'm hoping that we can come to some sort of agreement with the circuit, which apparently they have not, because we saw today, pre-race, or pre-qualifying, the gear is sitting piled up outside the hospitality unit. There, It's not even marked as Renault, and the room is completely empty. Lotus. Or, excuse me, marked for Lotus. And the room is completely empty. Mm. My problem is with with this whole thing. You bring your team to an event. You are responsible for the health and well-being of that event in addition to your participation. That means you need to feed and clothe and lodge your team and your personnel at this event. I don't have a problem with you turning around and saying, you know what, we're going to pay just enough to make sure that our engineers and our staff get food, but all the other stuff that we bring to hospitality, we're not doing it this race because we can't afford I would be okay with that. Well, then by that standard, mm-hmm. if it's 27000 to open the hospitality suite, mm-hmm. if they could meet the need outside the hospitality suite and save 27000 but it only cost them 10000 to feed everybody, okay, and you'd be okay with that. Okay. So... At least take care of your people. But that's the thing. What we don't know is what provision did he make. You're 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 latching to that piece that Bernie fed them out of the paddock club, but I don't know how much of that is pomp. But but for the for why the, the need to feed to to feed them at all? Why why should Bernie have to feed them at all if the team was providing food? Bernie wouldn't have felt that need. Nobody would have felt that need if they knew the team was getting taken care of. It would have been redundant. It would have been pointless. I think it was grandstanding. I don't know. I don't. I mean, so. I'm not saying that there's not like pre-made sandwiches sitting in the back room of their garage, and Bernie goes, "This is not enough," or "This isn't good enough," and I'm going to grandstand. But I think it's grandstanding personally. I, 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 I don't want to believe that they said, go to the track, spend 12 hours of your life at a track, and we're not going to bring you a soda. And that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. I just, the way it's coming across, it doesn't sound. The other piece of that, though, is, okay, knowing that the image of hearing that Bernie fed the team out of the paddock club, because they couldn't get in because they're locked out of the hospitality, then why don't you turn around and say, team's getting fed. Yeah, we may not be able to get into ho- into hospitality. Team's getting fed. I don't know. 
I don't know. And I don't know how much of this is he thinks he's saying that, but he's not saying that. Or how much of it is I'm tired of answering these questions. Well, the thing is, this is the first that we've heard from Matthew Carter at Lotus. I haven't heard from him all Actually, since we've watched F1, I have not seen a statement from him. But he's in Japan making statements. Well, and it also could be political. Yeah. It could be a matter of this is part and parcel of how they're going to try to handle the court case on Monday where they, you know, look, we didn't feed our team over the weekend so that we could make this payment. I don't know. All right. So shall we key stats and information about Japan? Please tell me. The stats of Japan. Okay, so the first one comes from us, comes to us from our friends over at Williams because they've always got some great stats. They do. Um, according to them, more than ninety percent of new mobile phones sold in Japan are waterproof, so that they can be used in the bath or shower. I always find that to be a good thing. I think that more mobile phones. You should do be not. Wa- no. 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 <laughs> no. 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 Considering you're one who complains about folks using them while on the toilet, oh. no. Nothing no. makes me angrier than to be in a public restroom and listening to somebody on their phone. That is wrong. Yeah. Okay. So other key stats and facts coming from the from the folks over at the BBC. Mm-hmm. 53 laps of the circuit is what the race will be. The first Japanese GP was in 1987. Uh, the circuit distance is 5.807 kilometers. And the race lap record of 1 minute 31.540 seconds was set by Kimi Raikkonen in a McLaren in 2005. Okay. Okay. Japan produces around 60% of the world's animated shows. Yeah. I think our son watches all of them. At 21.3 million, the number of pets in Japan outnumbers the number of children. 16.5 million. (laughs) Japan's bullet train reaches a top speed of 320 kilometers an hour. That's just four kilometers kilometers an hour short of an F1 car's top speed at Suzuka. Um, 1962 was when the circuit was built in a mountainous area after the president of uh, Honda, Honda, let let me start that again. Track was built in 1962 after the president of Honda, and Honda owns the track and neighboring, I believe it's called Autopia or something like that, but neighboring automotive-themed park next door, um, after they decided that they did not want to destroy rice fields to build the track. So instead they built it in this mountainous area. Interesting. Now, apparently, the drivers uh, go to the track through the auto-themed theme park. Yes. Um, Most wins by team. Nine for McLaren. Seven for Ferrari and four for Red Bull. Uh, Most wins by driver. Michael Schumacher with six. Sebastian Vettel with four. Wow. But apparently, very few people can win off the second row, right? True. It, it, th- this is a race that is typically won from the front. Thank you, Yogi Berra. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he died this week. Yes, he did. Part of the reason why I went there. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> was it testing me to know if I knew, knew that he had died? Sure. It never crossed your mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we did get to, to watch qualifying. Um, it was a fairly uneventful or, or unsurprising qualifying. Yes, the Mercedes were back where they needed to be. Woo! Back two. where they were expected to be. The Williams were doing fairly well. The Ferraris not showing the the pace that we saw in Singapore. Um, yeah, the script is, is coming back to normal. There was, however, towards the end of Q3, a fairly spectacular crash. Seriously. Um, so we've got the, the audio to go with it. You okay, Danny? Yeah, I'm okay. That would be uh, the immediate call right after Danny Kvyat stepped a wheel off the pavement. Barely onto the grass and, and just lost, lost it. it. Uh, plowed into the wall, actually flipped the car. What it looks like it did is the car turned sideways in the gravel. There was enough momentum that with the car sideways, it just rolled. Mm-hmm. It wasn't staying with it. And then, you know, he admitted right away, it's what happened. Yep. What happened there, mate? I cleaved the grass on the entry. Yeah. But the number of times the BBC commented that this is a testament to the safety that's in those cars. It, have you ever seen on the highway that crash of the subcompact where the front is completely gone and the back is completely gone, but the passenger cabin is completely perfectly intact? Mm-hmm. And yet... There's not a car. It's really not a car left. Yeah. That is what that the end result of that crash looked like. There was no front wing. There was no back wing. The tires were all akimbo. Well, tires there, went across the track. there was one tire on the other side of the track, one on the side of the track on the, that he went off on, hanging off the back of the car. And you had to look to see it. But hanging off the back of the car was one of the brake discs. <laughs> Exactly. I watched the the Marshall guys picking up stuff and putting it in a trash bag yeah. to then carry back to the team. Here's here, here's some of your car parts. Um, I cleaned your mess. <laughs> I picked up your stuff. Um, but yet the center part where the driver sits was pretty much perfectly intact. It didn't even look like it got scraped. Yeah, that safety cell exactly did its job perfectly. It did. And he popped the the steering wheel and popped the little ring that goes around the driver's thing. I'm sure there's a highly technical word for it. But he popped those out like they weren't even unaligned, you know? Yeah. You know, they all popped out just the way they're supposed to and he hopped out and the marshal came over and was like, you know, gave the signs for you okay and thumbs <laughs> up and he hopped out. Cars busted. And yeah. <laughs> We're not driving this one back, Phil. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you got to love that bit. Now, practice for Japan has been almost entirely in the wet. Yeah. Uh, Friday practice, both sessions were in the wet. Um, it was dry, so everyone got to do basically everything that they normally do on Friday practice this morning. In an hour. Yeah. It's five hours of work that they did in an hour. So it should be an interesting race. And then the, the question is what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. Uh, they forecasted rain overnight in Japan, and some models are saying it'll clear up in time for the race. Others are saying that it may last at least through the start of the race. Uh, th- hopefully it's not going to be nearly as bad as what we saw last year. Well, 
I think that at the very least we can guarantee that we're going to start on a wet track because that's the other thing about Japan is that even though it may not be actively raining, the track tends to hold water. It does, and it depends on how many support races are run between the time that the track start or, or the the race starts and the rain ends. Yeah, no other real news to share. We'll see what happens overnight. You know, last year, what was it, between qualifying and the race, we had an announcement that Sebastian Vettel was leaving Red Bull to go to Ferrari. So it's not entirely unlikely that we won't see an announcement in the next few hours over something. Odds are probably not that Jensen Button will be retiring. It sounds like he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I was going to say, have we talked about the Button kerfuffle? No, we're not going to because there wasn't, there hasn't been an announcement yet. Um, all we know is that he has not left the team, and the team is saying they really, really, really want to keep him. And he's already said that he will either drive for McLaren or nobody. Yeah. So he's not going to go to another team. We're not going to hear a Jensen to Haas thing. You know, I suspect that actually where it's at is if he if he continues if he decides to leave F one, it's because he got a deal to go drive in WEC. Yeah, I think that 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 is really what the key deciding factor is at this point. It'll be interesting to follow Jensen. Um, anything else? No, I think that's it for this week. All right. So uh, just a reminder, our, our weekly cleanup to back out of the podcast here. Uh, you know, tell us what you think over the insanity of last week's race in Singapore. It's certainly the most bizarre stuff that we've say, seen. Should we call it Bizarro Race? Is it bizarre enough to be Bizarro Race? It could be so far. Uh, you can, you know, leave a comment for, uh, to the show over on Facebook. Uh, or over on the website, over at thebloakeandabird.com. We still would like to see some reviews, some more reviews over on iTunes. And uh, remember, you can also find us over in Stitcher. And uh, on that, I think we'll call it a show. (laughs) 